Good morning. My name is Vanita Jones, and I'm part of the teaching team for Women in the Word. And it is so exciting to see so many smiling faces out there today. Uh, do you realize we're speaking about forgiveness today? <laughs> yeah. yeah, now you're not smiling so big, are you? Yeah, I, I totally get that. You know, um, this whole forgiveness thing is not one of my greatest areas. Um, and I have to admit that when I first um, found out that I was going to be speaking on forgiveness this fall, my first thought was, I will never forgive Deb Haygood for assigning me this topic. So I think you see the problem, right? I am way underqualified to be teaching any of you ladies about forgiveness. In fact, truth be told, I probably ought to be teaching this in front of a mirror because this is a really hard lesson for me. You see, I agree with what C.S. Lewis has to say about forgiveness. He says that we all believe forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. You know, that's, that's exactly how I feel. I, I can't imagine how this whole practicing thing could ap actually apply to me. I mean, I know a lot of people that need to learn about forgiveness in my life, but am I really one of them? You know, but apparently there's really something to this whole forgiveness thing. You know, because the Bible talks about forgiveness over a hundred times. And that tells me that God places a high value on forgiveness. But it doesn't stop there. You know, it seems like the world places a high value on forgiveness also. When I first started all this um, journey on forgiveness, I decided to do one of my favorite things, and that was Googled. I love to Google you know, you can put anything in there and something's going to pop up. You can fix every major appliance in your house if you just Google it. I have fixed the dishwasher and the wash machine just by Googling the problem. It's so fun. Just try it. Trust me, it really does work. But I Googled forgiveness and spiritual health. And you know, it gave me 254,000 different websites on that topic alone. That's crazy. But you know what's even crazier? I put in forgiveness and mental health. Guess how many I got back then? 684,000 different websites dealing with that very topic. So I was on a roll. I'm thinking, wow, there really is something to this. Guess what? I went one step further, and I put in forgiveness, and I put in physical health. And my computer almost caught on fire. You are not going to believe this. I got 2,720,000 different websites dealing with this very topic alone. So obviously, there really is something to this whole forgiveness thing. You know, shortly after that, I was doing the other thing I do a lot of, and I was standing in the checkout line at a grocery store. And I am part of the reason they keep the magazines and the candy and the sodas right by the front. Because I'm like a child. I cannot, if I'm there more than a minute, I've already increased my grocery list by about $10 when I'm paying. And I was doing what I do, typically do at the grocery store online. I was scanning the headlines of all the trashy magazines, right? And one of them caught my eye. And I'm going to just make a disclaimer right now. It had nothing to do about forgiveness, so don't think I was being really spiritual at the time. But I brought that magazine with me, and um, I wanted to share it with you. I did. I actually bought it, sadly enough. 
But it was, um, it's called First for Women. I don't, never heard of it before. But the headline that caught my eye was this one. It said, Mayo Clinic News. Well, I'm thinking that's code for, well, this has got to be true, right? So I kept on reading, and then it says, Drop 15 pounds in 14 days. Belly fat goes first. Hot dog, I'd finally found it. I could barely contain myself, so I shelled out an extra $2.49 for this magazine. I raced home, I threw my groceries into the refrigerator and jumped on my chair with a Diet Coke, and here I go. I'm gonna lose 15 pounds. I was on a mission. I couldn't find it anywhere, okay? I had to scan around, so I decided to head back to the table of contents, and on my way back there, I found this page called Smart Use Solutions. You're thinking it couldn't hurt, right? So I decided I'd scan this page, right? And it had all these little pieces about, you know, how to be a smarter you, like how to unstick a sticky zipper. Brilliant. We all need to know that, right? Or here's one quick relief for an itchy bug bite. We live in Texas. You're going to be brilliant at your next barbecue if you know this. But then I spied with my little eye right down here in the corner. It was a headline that said, get this, Activate your forgiveness zone. Seriously, it says it right there. Activate your forgiveness zone. I know. I was panicked. I'm teaching on forgiveness in a few short weeks, and I don't even know I have a forgiveness zone. <laughs> I don't know where to find this thing, and I am sure I've never activated it. <laughs> so I decided I better read on, right? It seemed logical. So I started reading on, and this is what it told me to do. It said, when you need to forgive someone, just do this one simple thing. Well, they had me at one simple. I'm ready to go. It said, grip your hands, at your interlock your fingers at chest level. It said, with your right palm facing inward and your left palm facing outward. Now, I don't know what this is for, but they're very specific. <laughs> you need to do this, okay? Then it said... You need to grip tightly and pull your arms apart as hard as you can and hold it for 30 seconds. And get this. It said, and then soon you will be able to handle that stressful situation with grace. You know what I was thinking? That 14 pounds and 15 pounds in 14 days better pan out because this, <laughs> this is only going to keep my hands busy for 30 seconds while that person can get away from me because... This isn't going to do anything for me. What a letdown. I mean, seriously, I'm right back at square one with this whole forgiveness issue. And, and I'm thinking, is this all the world has to offer us about forgiveness? I mean, they tell me there are two million websites about how it's going to affect my health, and that's what they're telling me to do? What a letdown. What a letdown. You know... I heard other things, too, while I was doing this. I heard things like, I will, never, I will forgive them, but I will never forget it. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? I think I've said it maybe a couple thousand times. And then there's the old, I'd forgive them, but I'm just not ready yet. Mm. Or, better yet, I'd forgive them, but they don't deserve my forgiveness. And then there's, of course, my old favorite standby. I'd forgive them, but they need to learn a lesson. I think that's got God slapping his knee, don't you think? Yeah. 
Yeah, and you know, I heard another one just the other day. I was listening to the news, and this guy said, he was doing a victim statement in a murder trial, and he said this. He said, it's not my job to forgive you. It's God's job. Wow. I mean, that's all the world has to offer us, forgiveness. That's it. It's not our job. It's God's job. That's a sad state. You know, the world gets an A+. Plus when it places that high value on forgiveness, but it gets an F when it's trying to tell us how to do it, doesn't it? It gets, sells us short, and it leaves us empty. But you know, I can guarantee you today that anything I tell you about forgiveness, it's not going to come out of this overpriced magazine. It's going to be something that God taught me because this is an area of my life I've got some big struggles. Something He wanted me to know when it came right out of His Word. And you know, those changes in my life aren't going to come about by scanning the Smarter Use Solutions book page in this magazine. It's going to come right out of the Word of God because you know what? This is where you're going to find out hows and whys of forgiveness. It's all right here in the Bible. It's, it's simple when you just look at it in the Bible. And you know, I think it's really interesting how every one of these lessons we've done have just been like we've been peeling layers off. You feel like that? You're just peeling one more layer and another layer, and they're all kind of mixed together a little bit as you pull that layer off. A little bit sticks down there because they all kind of intertwine. And you know what? We've just moved right into the next one. It's forgiveness. It, it, everything we've studied relates to forgiveness in one way or another. You know, as I mentioned earlier, the Bible speaks about forgiveness almost 100 times, and nearly 60 of those times are in the New Testament alone. And that tells me that Christ placed a very high value on forgiveness. And as followers of Christ, our hearts should be strong for whatever our Savior places such a high value on. So today we're going to go to Matthew 18, and we're going to read about the parable of the unmerciful servant. And it's Matthew 18. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. I want you to go over to 18, and I'm going to start... um, by reading uh, verses 21 and 22. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answers, I tell you not, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, the, the then in verse 21, it implies that something prior to this has led Peter to actually ask this question, right? He doesn't ask if he should forgive. He asks how many times. So he, he apparently gets the idea that he's supposed to forgive. And he's supposed to forgive his brothers. And when they talk about brothers in this, they're talking about fellow Christians in this portion of Scripture. But right above that, in Matthew 18:15 through 20, Christ is walking and talking with the disciples, and he's explaining to them how you handle a situation when you've been wronged by a brother over and over and over. So Peter, you know, he understands I'm supposed to forgive, but he wants to know how many times. So he goes a little further, and he jumps in there, and he answers. He wants to answer his own question. He goes, how many times? He goes like this because he wants to say it. Do you think if, I think if I was walking with Jesus, Son of God, I would go ahead and let him answer my question. You get it? But Peter, he decides to go ahead. He goes, up to seven times? And Jesus replies. He says, not seven times, but 77 times. 
Now, Peter probably thought he was being pretty generous when he offered that seven times thing because in the Jewish law at the time, you really only were required to forgive three times for a repeated offense. Anything beyond that wasn't required. So he probably felt like he was going above and beyond. But Jesus said not seven times, but 77 times. What does that mean? And some of your translations maybe said 70 times seven. So you know he's talking about 490. Is it 77? What is it? What is he talking about? Well, when Jesus uses the number seven and the multiples of seven, he's suggesting an unlimited number. Okay? He's not wanting to put a calculated value on it. He's, he's trying to show us just how absurd it is to actually place a calculated numerical value on how many times we're going to forgive someone. You know, he doesn't do that to us, right? Thank goodness. And he doesn't want us to do it either. But, but so when it comes to forgiveness... The question isn't if we should forgive, but rather the question is how often should we forgive? And because we're followers of Christ, we've been called to unlimited forgiveness. That's what he said. It's unlimited forgiveness. It is a radical kind of forgiveness. It's kind of like when someone says, jump, and you say, how high? Well, when God says to forgive, you can't answer back with, well, you know, I just don't really feel like I can forgive them right now. Or, you know, they really just don't deserve my forgiveness. Heavens, no. We're supposed to say how often. And he's already told us. He said it's unlimited. It is without limits. Have you ever noticed, though, when you start talking about forgiveness, everybody gets a bad case of the yabbits. We get yabbits at our house. Even the adults get it. But my kids, I see it a lot. And it looks kind of like this. Picture a nice, quiet evening in the Jones house. It doesn't happen very often, but it's quiet, and everybody's studying at the table, and Vanita's cooking dinner. It's very Norman Rockwell-ish. And then all of a sudden, it sounds like a train has come through the back door, or a tornado has blasted through the front door, or something. But I know if I'm not in there soon, it is so violent, someone is going to be hurt, or somebody, something's going to get broken, right? So I race into that room, and here they are. They're like a pack of yard dogs doing this. They are at each other, and I have to separate them, and here's one kid, and here's the other. And I look at my son, and I say, you need to tell your sister you're sorry, and you, you need to forgive your brother. And here it comes. Yeah, but she hit me. And then over here, she says, yeah, but he called me a bad name, and he deserves it. It's the yabbits. We all get the yabbits when it comes to forgiveness, don't we? I hear it even in adult conversations. You know, you may be at lunch with your friends and someone's talking about how somebody's hurt them and someone might suggest, well, maybe you just need to forgive them. Yeah, but you have no idea how many times they've hurt me. Or, yeah, but you don't have any idea, any idea how they hurt me over and over and how deeply they continue to hurt me. You see, forgiveness, it isn't an option. And you know, God isn't interested in our habits. He really isn't. What he's interested in is you and I. He's interested in us developing this forgiving spirit. Because as Christians, when the Holy Spirit places it on our heart that we need to forgive someone, you know, we really can't look at him and say, God, yeah, but God, you have no idea how bad that person's hurt me. It sounds kind of absurd, doesn't it? It's because it is absurd. Of course God knows how badly we've been hurt. And you can't do like I do when I say, yeah, but God, I just don't feel like I can forgive them right yet. 
I can almost hear God's response to that. It's almost audible. It's like he goes, Well, Vanita, I don't think I've commanded you to feel like forgiving anyone. I've commanded you to forgive so that you will be forgiven, right? It says that right here in Matthew 6, 14 through 15, it says, For if, men, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, I think it's funny how God does it both ways on there, don't you think? He says, if you forgive and if you don't forgive. Because there's people like me and some of you out there might have said, well, you said what you'd do if, you would for- if we did forgive, but you didn't say what you'd do if we didn't forgive, right? Wouldn't you have done that? And I think he's so good. He covers both the bases there, right? If we forgive and if we don't forgive. But he goes on in Luke 6, 37. He says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. I mean, there it is. Those two portions of Scripture right there could be called the cleft notes of forgiveness. They're very clear, aren't they? God isn't interested in our yabbits. Not in the least bit. He's interested in us developing a forgiving spirit. It's, it's a kind that doesn't keep count of the number of offenses against us. Did anybody in here do that when you look up the definition of forgiveness or how to for, or forgive? I was blown away. I didn't think it was going to tell me I couldn't hold resentment, but that's what it said. It says to cease to hold resentment, to hold no grudge. What? First you're telling me, right, you're saying, great. First she said, I've got to say I forgive you, and now she's telling me I can't, I can't remember it. I've got to forget it. I can't hold a grudge. That's really hard. But he says that that is the kind of forgiveness he expects from us. That is true biblical forgiveness. And and how many times have I said myself, I'll forgive him, but I will never forget it. That is not biblical at all. Not at all. You know, this really stymied me. This part of the whole study, I kind of had to shut down, and I'm like, wait a minute. How can I teach these women, you've got to forgive and forget? Ugh. I can't even do this myself, and I'm expected to teach this, and I prayed about it, and I studied, and I prayed about it, and God so graciously allowed me to listen to a sermon on forgiveness that was from a lady right here in this audience. And, and the speaker dealt with this issue brilliantly. This is what he said. He said, when you're trying to forget the offense, you should remember. I had to push the pause button. I'm like, wait a minute. What? He just said, I'm trying to forget the offense. Now I'm supposed to remember the offense? That's exactly what he said. He said, when you're trying to forget the offense, you should remember how God has moved you through this time, how he's grown you spiritually, how he's brought you closer to him, how you've learned and become more godly. He wants us to remember how he showed up in every part of this trial and his fingerprints are all over it. You know, Romans 8.28 says, We know that God works all things out for his good for those who love him and live according to his will. So what he's basically saying is, Stop focusing on the offense and the offender. Say, look at me. Focus on your defense. Focus on your defender. Focus on me because I love you unconditionally and I know what's best for you. And I know that nothing about this trial is out of, out of my control. I can handle it. He's calling us to this radical kind of forgiveness that extends 
is extended without limits. And it's extended to everyone who commits offenses to us, even if it's over and over and over. And, you know, we talked about this in our groups, and I hope that you had this discussion and got to this question where we talked about practical ways you can actually do this, how you can, how you can forgive like this. This isn't easy, okay? But the one that rung true for me was, I can pray for that person. If I'm in prayer about that person and about that situation, now my focus is off of the offense and the offender, and guess where my focus is? My focus is on my defender and how he's defending me and how he's standing with me every step of the way. And you know, in Matthew 5, it says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And Romans 12, 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And lastly on there, it says, Romans 12, 21, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Now, don't get me wrong. That does not mean that you have to resume that relationship immediately without any changes or without any boundaries, okay? That, or that you've got to resume that relationship at all. It may not be in God's plan. But if you do this type of forgiveness and you're in prayer and you allow the Holy Spirit to guide you and allow the love of your Heavenly Father to guide you, you'll know what to do in that relationship. You know, it's not easy. So what could possibly motivate us? Why would we even want to try to forgive like this? We're going to read on. Let's go on to Matthew 23. I'm going to read 23 through 27, and we'll touch on that subject. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began this settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay... The master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay everything back. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Wow. (laughs) You know, Jesus makes it very clear there that this guy owed an enormous debt. He said he owed 10,000 talents. Now, a talent was the largest numerical sum at that time. So when Jesus said he owed him 10,000 talents, it's kind of like Jesus said he owed him a million bazillion dollars. It was huge. It was, it was so large he couldn't have paid it back in a million bazillion years. You get the picture? It was gigantic. It was so large that it caused him to fall to his knees and he begged the master to give him a chance to pay it all back. And you know, that seemingly repentant servant, he caused the master to respond with sheer undeserved mercy. And he canceled. He didn't just postpone that debt. He canceled it completely. Sound familiar? You see, our motivation to forgive others comes from recognizing how much we've been forgiven by our Heavenly Father. Like that servant, we could never possibly repay our debt, not even in a million bazillion years. But God responds to our repentance with overwhelming grace. And he doesn't merely reduce it or postpone it. He cancels it completely. In Psalms 103.12 it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. You see, our debt has been canceled 
because of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He paid the ultimate price for our debts. So as followers of Christ, our motivation is to forgive is an outpouring of gratitude in response to our own canceled debt. But you know, if we don't feel forgiven or we fail to recognize how much we've been forgiven and how much grace we've been extended, our tendency is going to be to not be forgiving to others. The more forgiveness and grace you recognize receiving and the more forgiveness and grace you are willing to see in yourself, the more forgiving and gracious you're going to be to others. So when we truly repent of our sins and we're forgiven by our Heavenly Father, it's a natural thing for us to respond with a grateful and forgiving heart. And the forgiveness will be unlimited, just like our forgiveness is unlimited. But what really is true repentance? What does repentance really look like? We're going to find out. Let's read on in um, Matthew 18. I want to read 28 through 30, and then we're going to touch on that subject. Um, But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back all you owe me, he demanded, and his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me. I will pay it all back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. (laughs) Wow. You know, my first instinct when I read that was, This guy has not activated his forgiveness zone, right? He is a goofball. But is he really any different than you or me? No, not at all. Not at all. You know, I am so quick to beg for forgiveness from my Heavenly Father. And then I promptly turn around and I hold back forgiveness from anyone who irritates me or just needles me the wrong way or says something wrong or, or maybe makes me a little uncomfortable. And, you know, I get really historical, not hysterical, but historical when I'm having a little discussion with my husband. And the whole time I'm thinking of everything he's ever done to upset me. And I just want to throw it back in his face. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to forgive him because he needs to learn a lesson. That is pathetic. It's pathetic, isn't it? That is not true repentive forgiveness. True repentance involves more than just words. It's involving more than just us asking for the forgiveness. It's it's an action. It's a 180-degree turnaround from that sin and turn around to show a change of heart and a change in our attitude. Acts 26.20 says, First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and to all Judea and to all the Gentiles also, I preached that they should repent and turn to God. And get this. Prove their repentance by their deeds. You see, true repentance involves turning to God and away from your sin. As followers of Christ, our repentance is evident through our actions. Now, this could only happen if we absolutely have faith in the one that first forgave us. We have to have faith that our Heavenly Father has our back We have to have faith that he's the ultimate judge and that nothing about this situation is out of his control. And we have to have faith that he's going to follow through with that promise that we read earlier that said he's going to bring good out of every bad thing that happens to us. You see, repentance and faith, they're they're interdependent. It's like two, two sides of one corn, so to speak. 
In Acts 20, 21, it says, I have declared to both the Jews and the Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus. True repentance, the kind that changes a, causes a change in our heart, and a change in our attitude, and it's evident in our actions. It's only accomplished by faith in the redemptive work of our Lord Jesus Christ. This kind of repentance, this is the true kind of repentance that will cause us to recognize our tremendous debt that we've been forgiven and we'll be great, gratefully will be able to forgive others and extend grace to those around us. Let's finish up. I want to read the last few verses in Matthew 18 and I'm going to start at verse 31 and go to the end. Um, 31. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. That also sounds like the Jones house. Then the master called the servant in. He said, you wicked servant, I cancel all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, the master turned him over to the jailer to be tortured until he should pay all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. You know, I, I like to believe that this guy was shaken in his sandals. He had been summoned by the master. Surely he knew this wasn't a good thing, right? Or I would, I would like to think he wasn't. He, he thought that, but you know what? It wasn't. As it turned out, the master rebuked his unforgiving spirit and he handed him over to the jailer to be tortured. And the servant went on to endure a lifetime of unthinkable torment because of his own forgiving spirit. Charles Swindoll says this about the unforgiving spirit. He says, A Christian is a candidate for confinement and unspeakable suffering until he or she fully and completely forgives others, even when the others are in the wrong. And then he goes on to say this, Bitterness seeps into the basement of our lives like runoff from a broken sewer pipe. Every form of ugliness begins to float to the surface of those murky waters. Prejudice and profanity, suspicion and hate, cruelty and cynicism. There is no torment like the inner torment of bitterness, which is the byproduct of an unforgiving spirit. It refuses to be soothed. It refuses to be healed. And it refuses to forget. There is no prison more damaging than the bars of bitterness that will not let the battle end. You know, we looked up the fruit of the Spirit this last week and we found out that they were love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? Could they be more polar opposite than living with an unforgiving spirit? They're exactly opposites. We see cynicism and cruelty and profanity and anger and hate and bitterness. You see, an unwillingness to forgive will lead us to a life of bitterness and anger. But you know what? That unforgiving spirit, it doesn't just damage us and destroy us. It grieves everyone around us. It says in Hebrews 12:15, it says, "...to see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many." You know, I have a dear friend, his name is Steve Gregg, and I did ask his permission to, to use his name and his story. And you see, Steve recently suffered a tremendous loss. 
about two years ago, about this time of year, his father was shot in the robbery and left for dead. And his father only lived just a very few short hours before he went on to be with his Savior. And Steve told me when we were talking about this, he said, Benita, he said, I have never felt that kind of anger in my entire life. He said, I was so angry. I was so angry it scared me because I didn't know what it was going to make me do. And he said, I knew, I knew that I had to deal with that anger immediately or it was going to take over my heart and my mind and affect everybody around me. So he said, within just a matter of a few days, he said, he followed the prompting of the Holy Spirit and he dropped to his knees and he begged God. He begged God to help him forgive this young man that had fatally shot his precious father. And he said he went on and he pleaded, he pleaded with God that God would remove that anger out of his heart and he'd replace it with compassion and love for that man, for that very man that had killed his father. And you know, Steve said that when he got off his knees, he immediately felt the hand of God. And he knew that God had completely, completely taken that anger out of his heart. And he was immediately immediately able to forgive that young man. And he says, to this very day, I pray for that man's salvation. And he said, I pray that one day, when he gets through all he's got to go through because of this, that he will leave a legacy of faith and love for his family. What an amazing story. I mean, it blew me away. He was so close to his father. And his father was gone, and this man had taken him from him. And to this very day, two years later, he's still praying for that man's salvation. And he's praying for his legacy. But what an amazing legacy Steve is leaving his family. What an amazing lesson. You know, because, because he didn't harbor that bitterness and let it fester in his heart, he followed the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and he asked God to take it out of his heart. You know what he can do now? He doesn't have to worry about forgetting that horrible day in his life. Because you know what? Now he can remember. He can go back and he can remember that day and that two years that he's gone since then, and he can remember how God was everywhere. God's fingerprints are all over these last two years. He said, I was loved by this church. I was loved by people I didn't even know. And he said, I learned how my father had touched so many lives. And he said, I continue to go stronger and closer and closer to my Lord. I wouldn't want to change anything about that time. You see, he doesn't have to forget it anymore. And all of those around him can do the same thing. Because they're going to see through Steve that by looking back and remembering and seeing those fingerprints, that God does follow through. And that he truly does work out good all that happens in our lives. If we live Love him and live according to his will. You see, complete forgiveness is possible. But it's only possible when we allow God to work a miracle in our heart and guide us with his love and follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. In verse 35, it says, We are to forgive our brothers from our heart, but a heart filled with bitterness and anger, it will have no room for mercy and grace. I personally think the reason Jesus places such a high value on forgiveness is because he also places such a high value on intimate fellowship with his father. And he knows that it is impossible for us to have that intimate fellowship with his father if we're harboring 
anger and bitterness in our heart. He says in Matthew um, 22:37, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. He's not saying just that little bit you're not mad in. Your whole heart and all your soul and all your mind. And Mark 12:33, he says, To love him with all your heart and all your understanding and all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself, it's more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. It's the most important thing we can do. It's how we worship our Heavenly Father by not harboring that bitterness in our heart. You see, Jesus knows it's impossible for us to be worshipful and and honest with our Heavenly Father if we are doing that, if there's anger and bitterness in there. But He also knows that a heart that is filled with mercy and love, it frees us to forgive others the way we've been forgiven. And it allows us to enjoy a deep, satisfying, worshipful relationship with our Heavenly Father. Pray with me. Father, um, you know this study has just been really difficult for me. And I just thank you that you have shown me so many things that I've missed in the past. Lord, I pray that your nuggets of truth uh, don't leave here void, but they are placed in our hearts and applied in our lives the minute we step out this door, Lord. I pray that you would uh, bless each one of these women and that, Lord, you would just um, help each one of us to um, follow the Holy Spirit's prompting and to follow through with forgiving and forgetting as you've asked us to do. In Christ's name I pray this. Amen.